Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for June 22nd of 2019. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Welsh for HockeyHeads.com. And this is the Draft Recap Podcast. Uh, the NHL Draft wrapped up, I think, uh, maybe an hour or so ago here. And um, all the teams have made their selections. Um Pittsburgh made a, a, just a few selections because they didn't have too many picks, and, and we'll talk about those the draft picks and maybe the theme uh, between some of them. And day one of the draft, kind kind of boring. Day two, wow, <laughs> okay. Before it started, we had PK Subban and Patrick Marlowe get traded, and I think that's where we're going to kind of uh, kick things off because why not? PK Subban's kind of a big deal. He's going to the Devils. So that's good because they might be able to keep Taylor Hall, but then it's the Devils. And so you sort of sit there and go, nah. but Shiro seems to be able to do all right. I reckon he wins more than he loses. Yeah, he, I think he does too. I think when he, he loses, it's, it's, well, let's just put it this way. He did better this time trading away two second round picks for the defenseman he got today than he did the last time with Doug Murray. Yeah, that's a very, very good point, actually. <laughs> um, he likes pairing those second-rounders. It's like his thing. But, um, yeah, Blockbuster Ray, he does quite well with many of his bigger trades, and he's not fearful to do them. And a lot of them, it's highway robbery. Or he understands a team that's kind of pinched, like Nashville was. Nashville did not make a hockey trade here. This was a financial trade because they are looking out for Roman Yossi next year, who's probably going to make close to that $9 million that Subban makes. And depending on who you listen to, a lot of Matt Duchesne buzz, and that's going to cost money. So they really needed to free up that money, and it's almost one of those situations where it doesn't matter what they got back. It's, it's that they're creating room for Duchesne and being able to keep their captain. It's it's interesting because this was a, a business trade in regards to we've got to get some space off the cap, right? We've got to create some air, like some room. Whereas the Ryan O'Reilly trade was we don't want to pay the bonus to this guy. Let's get rid of him quick. And... You can see the problems with but, trading. But the Sabres <laughs> didn't have money problems or cap issues no, and chose to get a shitty trade. And this one is actually going to positively impact the roster at least somewhat. By sh- and that's why they didn't get a good return. Um, it's because New Jersey took all the nine mil, which <laughs> for them, not a problem at all. Correct. Um, I don't think it's a great trade for oh, Nashville, obviously, some. but... Because I, I saw reports there that they were willing to eat three million bucks of the salary for it. So that, as soon as the devil said we'll take the whole bunch, it was always going to be New Jersey, really, wasn't it? I mean, we talked about it. it could have been Pittsburgh. <laughs> I still, yeah, well, I, I still think Kessel Schultz for Subban could have helped both teams, but, um, at least in the sense that Penguins don't want anything to do with Kessel anymore. And there's actual value coming back. Um, yeah. But that's that's obviously not the route 
taken here. That that is definitely off the table. And you know the Devils, they keep adding some really good pieces and. I'm probably not going to have any issues with them the way I have in the past because they are not doing the same boring-ass things that they used to do in the past. Um, So, you know, you could argue uh, Capo Caco, (laughs) right? Is that the right order? I'm not going (laughs) to. Double K and um, over Hughes, but... Those were the two guys that were separate from the pack. Getting one of those two is good. Hughes being a center, I think, was the the tipping point there. Good selling point for for Hall if Hughes can live up to his billing. Uh, and now they got a defenseman to get him the puck. Uh, I think Taylor Hall staying there is a, a very realistic thing now. Yeah, there's there's more to this trade than just getting a quality talent like PK Subban and having a healthy version of Subban. It's the whole. Well, we've just got we've just got Jack Hughes. We've just got Subban. Uh, come on, Taylor, stay. It's the other reason why you go for a center he, anyway. He sure is good. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. They they certainly look like a better version of the team that made the playoffs two years ago. The question yeah, right? is, yeah, and the question is though, can Corey Schneider? stay together in one piece. He's he's what's going to sink or swim this team, which sounds really unfair, but they've invested in him and he's just got to get back to being in one piece. And I think they'll, they'll be annoyingly good for that division to play against. Yeah, the Metro got better this weekend. It seems like all the top picks seem to be going there um, to the non-Penguin Metro people. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> which, um, you know, it's going to catch up with them Maybe as soon as next year, uh, we'll have but to it's see. Always, and that's the thing. It was always going to at some point, wasn't it? It was always going to catch up to them at some point. The question was, can they lengthen that, that out, or are they shortening it? And you and I both think that they're making that catch-up period shorter than longer at the moment. Things might change over the UFA period and through the year, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where uh, the way the Penguins pick and the way the league is moving... I don't think that they sync up very well. No, not at the present moment. So Subban, he had an off year last year. Great year the year before. I'd still roll the dice on him. Well, yeah, I absolutely. And being in the in the East, everyone always complains about the travel, so that certainly helped him. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's 30. I think I think this bet by the Devils at 9 mil is way better than some of the UFA bets people are going to have to make. Maybe even Duchesne that would be related to this trade because they have to dole out seven years and the money. And you, you're usually going to get those bad backside years. Whereas Subban, you got three more. He'll be 33. There's not four more years on that contract, you know? Yeah, that, that that you can cash out of that of that contract at the right time if you're not happy with what's going on and and, and make a decision. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out because that all those sorts of contracts that are sort of ending up then will be in the next CBA. All of those signings. So I'll be really curious to see what the salary cap structure is then, because the players quite clearly had a bit of a 
bitch fight about whether they were going to push escrow up or not. And they decided not to. So all the UFAs this year are a little bit shortchanged on that cap. Oh, I don't know about that. I think the the cheaper players, the ones that would make two and a half, are going to be the ones that probably miss out. Somebody's missing out. I'm not yeah. so sure it's going to yeah. be the main players of UFA. No, that's true. That's true. It won't be the big. It won't be the big names. It's always the middle tier. Salary cap. I've worked out after watching it operate in this league. It doesn't suppress the top end salaries. It suppresses the middle salaries because teams go right. We'll get superstars and then we'll play on cheap contracts. Everyone else. And it's the middle guys that you know the union's supposed to be looking out for. <laughs> That's usually what unions are supposed to do. They're the ones that get squeezed every time. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next time around. Hey, yeah. you know what we have? We did forget to discuss before the podcast was the Trooper trade, and <laughs> oh, yeah, and another Metro Roma. team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um... Because we didn't discuss Carlson either, did we? Gosh. You see, this is what happens. Our week goes by and shit happens. I feel like we did do Carlson, but not Truba, obviously. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, he was clearly looking to sign in New York, which makes that trade tough. Um, that It wasn't a very good job by Winnipeg, how this entire scenario situation they either you could look at it two ways they they were too light with the term they should have went and committed to him legitimately the first time yep or they should have got ahead of it and moved him before he was kind of made it all but certain yeah you can trade for me but i'm not going to sign the thing that i find interesting with um Shevoldayov is the one complaint almost every Winnipeg fan has. He's too slow to move. Sits on young players for too long before bringing them up to the bigs. Sits on players' contracts and basically times himself out of having leverage. And the whole thing with Trubert, it was always a bitch fight to try and get him to stay. It had been the entire time. And he really should have got there and, and found a... a like you said, go earlier on the transaction and get him out before it got to the point where they were going to lose him for peanuts. Yeah, they didn't get much uh, for him. And he's a good right-handed defenseman, good age. So that's yeah, a, that's a huge, for the Rangers. huge hit for, for Winnipeg there. And I know a big part of it was actually Truba's fiance uh, being a medical student and wanting to, to be in the United States to, to finish up that part of it. So life things were dictating this as well, which, you know, it does happen. And um, I think it's a great thing that Trubo was accommodating for her because she deserves to have her career too. Well, you know, theoretically he's going to wrap up before hers. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But That's um, a good point, actually. Yeah, the Truba thing, that's going to make things more difficult uh, for Pittsburgh uh, because the Rangers, well, I, I don't, it's way early. I don't, I don't see them maybe as a playoff team, but when you're talking about the non-playoff teams getting players like that, uh, the, the ease, ease, 
quote unquote easy wins start to get fewer and fewer. Yeah, you can't bank thirty points playing three teams in your division, and that's the hard part. But the uh, the other trade today, another business trade. Uh, for money reasons, was Kyle Dubas moved Patrick Marlowe, which he had a full no-move clause, and or at least some kind of protection where he had a lot of say. And they they got out from under that six or six point two five mil in that range contract. Uh, that contract was one left behind by Lou Lamarillo, so it was one of those inherited problems. And it was a problem because they have some RFA business to take care of, Mitch Marner being (laughs) the the obvious one. But trading away Marlowe today opened the door. They've already got extensions in place for Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen. And they're in that $3.25 to $3.5 million range for three years each, I think maybe four for Janssen. That's that's the mid-tier contracts you want to get right. It sounds like they did. And the only way they were going to do that is with Marlowe's contract moving. And they paid a price to move it. They paid a first-round pick. It is lottery-protected. Not, not that. I think that's going to be a problem for Toronto. They're going to be a good team. But they will... If they're in the bottom 10 this year, the pick gets pushed to next year. Still a first-rounder. But to me, when you're talking about Toronto being in a, a, the younger portion of a win-now window, yeah, the first-round pick, fuck it, pay it. Who cares? Keeping around Kapanen and, and Janssen for, for, the, for the money is worth way more than taking a shot at a draft pick between 20 and 30 and maybe well, getting some games out of that player. They're only in that young part of their of their win-now window if you keep the young guys like Capitan and Janssen, you know? Patrick Marlowe is like 500 years old. He's at the back end of his career. It was a terrible signing. Not because was. he was bad the, the first year. The, the, just the three years knowing... What you had coming, like Lou didn't give a shit. No, and and neither did know, Babcock. That was probably no. all him. Tavares, and Tavares, you know, Tavares is the the old hat head on this team. Ignore the Ron Hainsey fact that he'll probably get re-signed, but Tavares is the one that needs to lead the team until it's Austin Matthews's team, and it might well be this year coming. But yeah, you you got to get that cap. Uh, credit to Dubis, managed to do it. Found a team that that very well may be losing Justin Williams and Patrick Marlowe will probably just fill that role. Fundamentally, um, and they have they do have cap space, and they yeah. use they weaponize their cap space to get another first round pick. They Carolina spent a lot of time trading down in this draft, and we'll we'll talk more about that a little bit later uh, when we talk the actual draft picks and not the trades so yeah that and they're willing to buy him out if he doesn't want to yeah. play there so this works for Marlowe as well he can go back to san jose on a cheaper rate 
that wow, seems to be actually. that seems to be the the line of thought right now on what's going to happen. Jeez, look at look at what Lou Lamorello has done for for Patrick Marlowe. It was a bad signing. It just uh... the three years was just nonsense from the start. And the third year was always going to be a problem, and it was. It cost uh, cost Dubis a first rounder, but credit where credit's due, he paid it, moved on, and can now build his roster better. Whereas um, Pittsburgh uh, did not use their first round pick to entice maybe an Ottawa Senators team to take Jack Johnson. Uh, do I, do so, you think the cap? Not being set until today was as big an issue as all the general managers were bullshitting us with. I mean, I think it's ridiculous they didn't have a number by now. Yeah, I, agree I, I with do. That. I do agree with their frustration. I think they were pretty much guaranteed it wasn't going lower than eighty-one point five. So you're you're talking about a mil and a half. You can still do business, <laughs> and you're allowed. To, you're allowed to be over the cap anyway, up to a certain point. From this point I think on, 10%. so even if you, yeah. So even if they made a trade and they were over the cap, they'll be able to get cap compliant by the time it got to. What is? Does it have to be day one of the year, or does it have to be um, before then, like the the preseason? I can't remember, but a few they months, been able to, Yeah. They would have been able to work it out. I just think the teams were gun-shy. So, I guess we'll shift to draft. Yeah. All right. So, Pittsburgh, 21st overall. They did not, did not trade their pick. They ended up uh, selecting Samuel Poulin. And he is a, I believe, a winger from, is he from the Q? Yep. And he he has an offensive pulse. That's a good sign. Can he skate? Sort of. Uh. So that that is the issue at hand right now for me. Uh, a few issues, actually. So I, I talked about, just a minute ago, wanting to use the first-round pick. So you have to ask yourself, you're Jim Rutherford, you have this team, they're in this stage of their run, which is on the, the backside, so there's not much more time with these players to, to make legitimate title runs. What can you do to make that first-round pick improve your now roster the most, and I don't think they did that. Nope. I don't think, and I'm not knocking the player. He's just not good enough in all reality to jump in next year and make any kind of impact. I think it would be... um, a lot of optimism if you were able to even do it the following season. And I still don't think the odds are terrific in year three for that to happen. And that's the last year of Gino's contract. So that's, that's the window of all of this. I think, I think it's, 
I don't know what they're doing. Like, what's the plan here? So now you're going to build the, the cupboard back up again? For what? It's not going to be for when he's not there. It's not because, makes no sense, does it? Because they traded three picks to move up today. Um, so now they're... They, if you're going to build up the cupboards, you, you kind of want to do the Carolina thing where you trade trade down and collect more and more because the odds of these guys panning out after a certain point is pretty similar. So you'd rather just have more cracks at it than... It's shot volume. What's that? Yes. It's shot volume. volume. <laughs> so they really, I think they only took three players today. That I saw. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was another one in there. But, um, you know, it was nice outside today. I wasn't uh, glued to watching the second day of the NHL draft. Um, but the, the players seem to have a theme to them. And that theme is power forward. Uh, tough to play against. They seem to all have good hands, which is good. And they do have offensive numbers like the the guy they traded up to get had 45 goals this year in the queue at 17 so that that's good that's objectively good i like seeing yeah. that uh this isn't like the the connor hall pick where you're like jesus christ he's got like <laughs> one one point in like a thousand games like what are, what are we doing here uh i can see the offense there. So I'm not really, I don't want to totally go over the top with criticism because my hot. biggest, my biggest thing with this stuff in, and I don't, you don't need to watch the prospects or be an expert to know that you want players that can produce in the, in the lower leagues because it translates and shows that they can do things. And while the numbers don't always move up with them from league to league. Even if they lose some, there's still value to be had when you're starting from nothing and it's always going to be nothing. Yeah. And I don't, and I want players that don't create. I want the players that dictate the play. I don't want the people that are supposedly good at reacting to it. I don't want reactors. I want, I want the guys that force people to react. And the guys that usually put up the offense, they're usually the guys that force the others to react. So on that point, I think not bad. The the skating is um, the problem here, especially with the um, the second pick they made. And I am drawing a blank on his name. I don't know why. Who who for who for? The Penguins uh, pick they traded up for. I I was going to write it down, and then I was like, no, I'll remember it. Nope. Oh, I've got Paul and Laguerre, Caulfield. Laguerre. Pustinen, and then I know his name is Areola, but I read it as Areola, which is not very fair on him. Continue. Uh, Laguerre is the one I was looking for. So His skating's a little worse than Poulin's from, um, you know, I follow a lot of people that do... Um, pay a lot of attention to this stuff, so uh, it's very helpful to to hear these things. Uh, but also from the team themselves, the the Penguins 
were the ones talking about how the skating wasn't all that great and that's something to to work on so <laughs> quick quick question it. quick question here how likely is it that somebody can improve their skating at this age like between the ages of 16 and 22 that that sort of you know four to six years spread how do you go about fixing your skating when you've been skating like that since you were about four like i'm just it's a mechanical thing that i'm just curious about you coach all right what's the likelihood at that age it's not high especially when it's a foot speed thing yep not a um so here's here's the two variables at play obviously the mechanics of the actual stride um but there is some strength things as you know yes that you can do um these kids are going to go through some legitimate workout regimes with, with the, through the penguins and, you know, to get the quads and the, and the glutes and the hammies going a little bit, doing some squatting to, to kind of get a little bit more explosive. I just don't think it's, you're not, you see a lot of comments like, Oh, they'll, he'll, they know they'll improve his skating. And it's like, we went through that fucking cringe fest every summer the Penguins' younger players would come back to prospect camp. I think Olimata is a step faster this year. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus Christ. Because you, you either you either have the muscle fibers to have quick feet or you don't, right? It's just, it's just biology in regards to how it works. So you're either going to improve on already quick feet or all you're going to do is get heavier and potentially get on the other side of the curve and slow the player down if you go too big, too hard on trying to build up the lower half of the body. So it's, it's the reason I ask. It's like if they can tweak some mechanical things that allow somebody to change direction quicker, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but you're not going to speed somebody's ability to get their feet up and off the ice quicker to accelerate faster. You can give them more power which means that their first stride might be slower, but it, they will accelerate quick off one step. But it's the whole mechanical side of it. So I think we sit on the same page. I'm like, so basically they're just blowing wind up our ass. Yeah. I th- here's, here's the issue, too. The cue is usually a little more loosey-goosey style of play. Um when you have players that aren't maybe uh, great skaters, but they're big and they're strong and they're playing against other eight, 17, 18-year-olds, like, you can have your way. Yeah, I Like, get, even yeah. if they yeah, catch yeah. up to you, you can fend them off. Um, About to lose that advantage. <laughs> when, when, you, when you step up to play with the big boys and it's Patrice Bergeron on you, or, or Sid, well, Sid's on the team but okay so at practice Sid and Gino um but you know guys like that like the legitimate like a Kopitar like every team's got a guy and your skating is you know definitely not better than those guys and all of a sudden that strength uh, advantage that you had is it's likely they're stronger than you yeah where do we go yeah the time and space shrinks and the strength advantage isn't there. So I'm you always a little wary AHL. of 
the draft picks that you start talking about the their ability to push people around at that age because that ability may not and I'm not saying it won't for sure because it could like all these great players we talk about now obviously they had to come from somewhere um but it it's just a little bit of a concern that it won't translate up up the up the ladder you know what I mean I no no I I fully get it if you if you're big kid playing against little kids at some point that advantage you've had your entire life shrinks every year as everyone starts to to become an adult and if you don't adapt to those changes by the time you get to the bigs all the stuff you used to be able to quote unquote cheat with because you were larger well that's all out the window so it makes things a little bit tougher if the players transition through that then yeah they can translate but more often than not you, you often hear about well, what happened to this player who was number five pick in the draft in whatever year it was? He dominated in junior. Yeah, he was four inches and about 20 pounds heavier than everybody else. And then when he got to the adults, he'd lost the ability to do anything because he could just cheat his way through. So it does come down to how clever the player is and the coaching staff around them and stuff like that to get them to adapt and adjust. But it always worries me when you the biggest theme through the Penguins draft is big body, he can be physical. Um, he's got hands, but we're worried. Quite clearly, they're worried about still being classed as a small team. I think Penn's inside scoop had a comparable to Laguerre. Pat Maroon. Oh, cool. <laughs> like yeah, you can't. This it's one of those things where you can't always. Well, you and I would like everybody to project for the Crosby level sort of players. It's like. If this guy turns out, he's going to be Crosby, or if this guy turns out, he'll be Datsuk. When you get lower down the draft, they're the sorts of players you need to be attempting to draft that low down because the likelihood of a solid defensive third liner coming out of there because that's what they already are is basically next to zilch. Swing for the fences, and if the skill falls down and the kid's smart enough, he'll end up being a third line center for you that's got some hands. I, I don't... I mean, scoring 45 goals... That's very well. We're not poking fun at that. We're not poking fun at that. No, but I'm saying hopefully that at least there's 45 to start with. Correct. You're right. So as he gets up uh, to the next level and it gets a little harder, maybe it's not 45, maybe it's 30. You're still cooking with fire. (coughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. That it's just how much of a drop are you going to see? And we won't know for a few years, but that's again the problem. It's yeah. not. It's not doing anything to help the current product, and it's the only product that matters. Rutherford not making a first round pick for like a decade, five years, but <laughs> uh, that's had an impact. They're up. They are past the point of no return with balancing short and long term. We've said it a million times. But you got to own that. And in the draft this weekend, they did not own that. They did not make they did not make Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Melkin's job any easier to win the Stanley Cup with what they did this weekend. And that's a problem. They are the, in a win now, and the team needs help. They weren't very good last year when you compare them to the other teams they're chasing now. They're not a bad team. I did, I'm not saying they're not no. good. It's just 
when you're in a win now, the standard is the cup, and right now they're not a good bet for that. Now he hedged his bets. It, it's almost like it's almost like he heard the criticisms that had been quite loud about the fact that he's you know throwing draft picks. So he's going, all right, well maybe I'll do something about that this year. And it's like, no, you're past that point now. He was the first do round pick else. to undo your greatest fuck up. That would have yeah. the biggest impact on the current roster. And with the cap going down, like, the Penguins are so limited in what they can do now because that bottom pairing, or they probably won't play together. They'll probably wreck the second pairing <laughs> instead with Schultz. It's 7.25 mil, and it's horrible value, and they did nothing to address that this weekend. They had teams weaponizing their cap space, willing to take on stuff as long as you gave them a decent enough asset. And they didn't do it. Instead, they're going to wait three or four years on a kid that might might do something for them. I'd have lost this year's first rounder and next year's first rounder to have both of those contracts off the team. I don't know if I would do the the next, because I don't think with Good Branson you would have to. Believe it or not, I, I, I just, I just sit there with. It I would day. definitely have used this year's on Jack Johnson. He cannot be playing any meaningful minutes if this team even wants to pretend they're getting the most out of the roster. So can you, can you, can you see a situation where he's on the roster opening day and doesn't play game one? Because I can't. No. Yeah, which means this team's cooked. <laughs> yeah, if they use him on a second pairing again, you're right, because that means Malkin's fucking cooked. That means Schultz fucking cooked. That's not good. It's bad. Very bad. He had and such that, a negative drag on everybody. And that's on, like, I know the coach can only play the players that he's been given, right? But he has more than six defensemen to play. Yeah, Sullivan's so, a... He's, he's, he's in... Culpable. Yeah. He's in this, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I didn't think it was a very good weekend for for the Penguins. Their, their picks at least have an offensive pulse. That made me um, happy because, it, as I've said, that's a non-starter for me. If you draft somebody that didn't put up any offense, and we're going to talk about some of those picks um, in a little bit. Like, get out of here. Especially in the first <laughs> round. Stop it. Don't. What are you doing? Uh, so at least the Penguins players do have that offense baked in. That's good. I don't like the style that they're going for, considering speed and skill is what won them their two titles. Uh, I don't like the fact they made their first round selection that they're going to have to wait three years on. That's not going to help anything. I don't like that. They traded up and it, because if they were going to do this whole, we're not going to do anything for the present roster. They should have traded down a few times and got in. Cause I keep hearing about, well, this is a deep draft and it's like, Oh, is it okay? Well, if it's such a deep draft, then why the hell wouldn't you trade for more picks? Because the draft is so deep, you're still going to get a good player. What's the definition of deep? Well, I just want to know 
if it's so deep and that's the strength of this draft, why wouldn't you want more picks? Why would you feel no, I, the need to be up further? I, I, I agree. But you sit there and it's like, how deep's a deep draft? Like, you always have these retrospective 10 years what after drafts. What the fuck is a done. deep draft? Correct. Like, I, get... I love... Being in prospect work that is the best because it's like <laughs> being a weather person. <laughs> yeah, I, you know where you're going. Uh, it's fifty uh, percent rain today. Oh man, he said it would be one or the other. This player is going to make it or they're not. Oh, okay, cool, great. You can be wrong; it doesn't matter. There's really no accountability for a lot of it. I know that a lot of I know that a lot of number one draft picks don't. Uh, don't come up short in regards. The number one draft pick gets to X amount of level and it's considered a successful pick and all that kind of stuff. But you get outside the top five, and I Traps. think in hockey, I think in hockey in particular, and you are literally rolling the dice. And if you're not in the other, I think if you're not in the top ten, unless there's somebody that you can see that's in your your little window that you really, really covet because you think you've snuck one past every other scouting. All right, and we, uh, I've got some draft rules we're going to talk about before we talk about the other teams. Yeah. Uh, Steve Birch, from, uh, when he was doing some work for Sportsnet, this was from 2015, he, he had a nice chart, probability of NHL games played by draft slot. And this was he took the years 1995 to 07. And once you get out of the top... 14-15, the odds of getting a player to play in 200 games played drops below 60%. Well, so that's, players that's that are good argument. are going to play 200 games. That's the volume argument. Right there. That's but it gets off. worse. It's, once you get past uh, the first round, it, it, you, you are below 40% that these players will hit 200 games. And then by the time you are in the 121st area, you're you're down to 10. percent But the, but it goes from 100 percent to pretty much 50-50 halfway through the first round. Now, just quickly, with those top 10 draft picks, how many of those guys get to 200 games because teams don't give up on them? Because Ooh. another team will take them on okay. because of the. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's fair. Uh, we got two on the bottom pairing. Yes, they're that, both that's number kind three. Of my point. Overall, if you if you get drafted that high, teams go. I can recover that. I can recover that. I can recover that. You know, Alexander Day, prime example of a flop of a first round draft pick, right? How many games did he actually play? Um, he was not a good number one overall pick, but I don't think he's he was the like a complete scrub either no no he it, wasn't it, but in regards to what you expect out of a number he's one he's a former penguin he, by the way i know i know which is probably why he popped into my head um how many games did he play i'm looking up his stats now because i know he had a I, I want to say he had an okay year in there where it was actually like not not so bad uh, i'm on the wrong side i'm on wikipedia it was i don't know he had done. a 51 point year with Ottawa, another one with the Wild, 61. Oh, is that Davos? That doesn't count. 
No, but so if you have a look at how many seasons it wasn't a great play, career. No, but look at how many teams tried to resurrect it. One, two, three, four, five, five. You see, and it's the number one draft pick. You're not going to get that chance if you picked 121. Yeah, that's, you're right. So that might be skewing it a little, but the point stands. I don't know. The point's exactly right. It was more a matter of I wonder how many top end draft picks gets bailed out and gets to an X amount of games because of the fact they're a number one draft pick. Whereas somebody picked so low, you're either in and you're good or you're out because you're such a low pick. So um, I want to discuss some of these. Uh draft rules that I uh, yeah, 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 let's go for it. came across the other day. I came across them a few months ago, actually. Um, it was from, I think, Shiel Kapadia. And they were football draft rules, and I thought they were really good. So, Oh, you finally found this. I did. I did. Yes. I was looking for it, and I actually had – I spent like an hour looking through – between my likes but then i was like maybe i just retweeted it and i had to go back to april and it took me a while but i i did retweet it so it had a record of it (laughs) so her rules were really good so they're football related but i'm going to go over the changes that i made to them to make them hockey related the first didn't have to change at all Don't fool yourself into thinking you are better at drafting than other teams. You probably are not. (laughs) And and that needs to be said, because unless you're a team that is pouring huge resources into tracking into the junior programs in college to get possession stats, expected goal stats, and the kind of passing data and entry data that Ryan Stimson and Corey Schneider do, how... Much ahead of the pack, are you really? You're just going yeah, about a bunch of eye test stuff. And that is why the draft has probably been so random over the years, is because you're doing a lot of eye test stuff. And you don't have a huge database of useful stuff to, to kind of balance the approach at all. So there's that. Don't draft, number two, don't draft a running back early. If you draft one late, make sure they significantly impact the passing game. So (laughs) I had to really rework this one. Thank you. Uh, I I want to see how this comes out. um, I change running back to goalie. Don't Just don't draft a goalie early because much like running backs in football, uh, they're kind of a dime a dozen. Well, look at him. There's great a huge number of them the in the draft. It's, it's yeah. like the sandwich thing that we used to talk about. Most of the sandwich is in the middle. Got a lot of running backs and goalies and right in that middle area. Very few surface area at the top. Very few surface area being super bad at the bottom. <laughs> so why would you, you know, invest into a position where there's value later? Don't. Don't draft one early and definitely don't trade up for that. Yes, and as a Bills fan, I can tell you they love taking running backs over the years. Uh, Willis McGahee, C.J. Spiller, Marshawn Lynch. Hey, I know these names. 
Yeah, so do I. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was always just like, come on. You didn't need to do that. And stupid. Anyways, number three. If the first line in a scouting report for a linebacker or defensive tackle is about how good they are against the run, don't take them. Basically, uh, with the NFL, it's a passing league now, so if like their thing is running, what, why are you investing in something that the best teams don't really do anymore? Yeah. All right, convert this to NHL. I'm curious on this one. If the first line in a scouting report is about their size or defending, don't take them. I was waiting for the word grit to be thrown in there as well. <laughs> All those buzzwords. Yeah. Like if, if the first thing is defensive or about size and all that don't take it i don't want to hear about it this it it, it's not going to project and if it does you got very very lucky it's it's not high probability stuff so does that one make sense absolutely i'm just curious in regards to the word you were going to use to translate it across (laughs) all right number four don't trade up unless you are taking a big swing at a franchise changing quarterback um quarterbacks being the most important position in football by a long shot uh don't trade up in the first round for hockey unless you're getting you know this guy is going to be a game changer so many times you get teams that trade to move up and we 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 had some examples of this the arizona coyotes of all teams john shika who people like to say is an analytical gm but i'm a little hesitant to think that he is doing things like that he moved up three slots and gave away a few picks to do so and then take a guy that probably was going to be there anyways. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't so make a lot of sense. Don't trade up in the first round unless, unless you got a guy that is going to change your franchise. Otherwise, keep more lottery balls. Don't trade them up to, you know... Don't turn like three maybes and consolidate them into one maybe, is I guess what I'm saying there. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Unless it's a, yeah, swing for the fences, otherwise trade down. All right, so Penguins have actually done okay in this draft with a lot of these rules so far. Not bad. I think five, number five here is the one that might get them. We talked about it. Don't overrate your coaching staff's ability to dramatically change who a player was in college (laughs) or juniors. Okay, so this is where the skating thing comes in. You know they're not good skaters, but I can make them a better skater. Well, here's the other part of that. Every team, all the players, they all work harder to get better every year. Are you really going to improve that much? Yeah, you're going to out-hustle them much more better. Absolutely. I think that's the only maybe one the Penguins broke. Although, Are there any I guess five rules or have we got a list of ten here? Seven. Okay, cool. Six. If drafting a wide receiver, make sure he was productive in college. This is simple. If drafting any skater, make sure they had an offensive pulse in college or juniors. <laughs> there needs to be evidence that they did shit. That that's just one that, you know, that's probably my favorite rule. I think I think that rule may change in ten years because right now all you can really do is like, do they have an offensive pulse? Well, really, in juniors, 
and over in Europe, the only way to really track that is, are they accumulating point totals? But I think in, in 10 years' time, you'll be able to see if a player has an offensive pulse because they will be tracking. You will be able to see if they're a, a high-possession player or whether they suppress shots. Yeah, or, we're not there, though. No. So until that point, this is a really, really good one to run with. Are they accumulating points? Yes. Okay, good. Are they not? Don't even think about it. Which so means Pitt- players... So if you're looking at it from Pittsburgh's point of view, players like... Um, oh, God, I've forgotten his goddamn name. Simone who does a hell of a lot of good stuff to help create offense, but does not get any himself, some of those sort of guys are going to slip through the cracks. But you catch them up by actually having multiple draft picks slower down the draft. I'm not so sure that he didn't have good numbers coming up. Oh, I can't remember. I'm just using him as a current example of, like, if that's what he was producing when he was out, which is not a lot, but doing a hell of a lot of good things, they're the sorts of players that would slip through those cracks. But you pick them up later on in the draft because you just throw draft picks at guys like that. Because you've got them. There's, there's, there's a little bit of offense in his totals, not, not a ton. So he might be uh, one of those guys that did slip through. But you, like I said, you catch him and you catch all we've got six picks in the last two rounds, <laughs> and you just throw one at them. Um, number seven, look to trade back. Identify GMs who are trying to save their jobs and thinking short term. Especially with the <laughs> NHL draft. Like the NFL draft, like there's more value, I think, with the players in the first round than in hockey, but maybe I'm wrong on that. It just feels that way to me, I guess. Listen, once you get out of that top ten, the the, the percentages plummet. And they don't plummet enough after that till the end of the round to be thinking that you're going to be doing much better trading up. I mean, you better think that person's going to change your franchise. To, to the other rule that was mentioned, don't trade up unless it's going to change your franchise. Makes perfect sense to me. So those are the rules, and today... There were some teams that broke them. So let's see. All right, so you want to go through some of the, Absolute, the draft picks? Absolutely. First two, I don't. not much needs to be said. They, they were good picks. They were the, the top two. Chicago comes right out of the gate with a curveball, and mind you, I don't know who the hell Kirby Doc is or anything of it. I just know that the people that do follow this were pretty taken aback when he made his way to the podium. So <laughs> rule number one, don't think you're smarter than everybody in the room. Um, yep. <laughs> now, this allowed the Avalanche to take Bowen Byram, and from all accounts, the best defenseman in the draft, which allows them now to have the flexibility to move Tyson Berry's contract because they're just loaded with these defensemen. Much like um, Carolina, Colorado had a good draft. Um, I think they had a few trade downs, and the players they targeted were the good variety of um, probability. And, you know, when you think about Carolina and Eric Tolsky and then Colorado with Eric Parnas and um, Dawson Spriggins. Gee, go for it. There's a trend. So understanding draft pick value, 
um, is helping those teams. And while Tyson Berry is a very good player, if they can move that and not miss a beat because of their drafting, they can get other assets to fill the roster and really speed their process along, which they seem to be doing. And quite frankly, it helps that Nate McKinnon has an overrated agent and Pat Brisson, who did a fucking terrible job for him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Steve Iserman falling to rule number one, thinking you're the smartest person in the room. <laughs> Which was kind of surprising for me. Moritz Seider, defenseman in a German men's league with no offensive pulse. Also, not a player on anybody's radar. At number six, he could have traded down, got more picks, and still gotten their defensive defenseman. So, really poor job right there. Where did, they, where did they get the mail that, oh, my God, this guy's going to go before we get to six, like, or before we get to 20? I, I must I don't... really love him. Uh, okay. You know, and when we make these criticisms one one of these is going to come back to haunt us <laughs> We're, we are not going to be batting a thousand on this podcast that's the whole point of the draft isn't it to make you look like an idiot <laughs> so the red wings former boss ken holland followed suit and taking philip broberg another defenseman with no offensive pulse two goals nine points in 41 games that, that sounds like a Holland pick, though. You look at the way he likes to, to use Sweden. That's the sort of player he likes to pick from Sweden. Yeah, well, Nick Lidstrom, this Broberg, is not. So No, but he, you know, you look at guys like Cronwall and a few of the other defensemen that they've had. It reeks of, I'm going to go to somewhere where I think I'm safe. Well, Holland uh, was definitely one of the, the early European players. Um, guys to be smart to take players there but uh, you know 20 years later people have kind of caught on to that whole thing maybe so, a little bit but yeah six and eight for defensemen with no legitimate looking point totals and i get it so they may be playing in men's leagues but so is the nhl <laughs> yeah so, you, you would just like to see top 10 players have something there and that's a, that's a risk we talked about shika trading up um in philly good for them they traded down they moved back to 14 picked up a few extra picks and they took uh so the the coyotes took victor soderstrom he's another guy that didn't have a lot of points as a d-man so philly drops back to 14 and takes uh, cameron york who who does have quite a number of points so it worked out great for That's Philly as far it. as I'm concerned. That's, I would place fun. the bet on Philly gaining those extra picks and taking the guy with the points any day. Um, Dale Talon, you didn't think he'd get through a draft without breaking a rule, did you? <laughs> he broke one of the easy ones. He couldn't resist taking a goaltender at number 13, Spencer Knight. Yes, he was considered the best of the draft, but here's the problem with taking a goalie at 13 if you're the Panthers. There's this Russian dude that's going to be visiting them in the next few days named Sergei Bobrovsky, who's going to get like a seven-year contract and a lot of money. Why the hell are you taking a goalie at 13? You should be should be looking for puck-moving defensemen, if not forwards. And, I've already and, seen that none of the defensemen are moving 
that have actually got a pulse at that point. The other thing is GMs love to think that goalies take longer to season, and it's nonsense. The, the, the curve is way younger than a lot of people think. Carter Hart's 20, and the Flyers are going to get a lot of good years out of him because they had the guts to pull him up and let him play. Well, Fleury was 20 when he got in. Yeah. I mean, he played his nine games, then went back to Wilkesbury for a year and a half, and he was 20, and he was their goalie for 10 years. Like, doesn't matter where you pick him, it, they, you still want him in the league at 2021. 20, That's the reality, isn't it? It's just like your top-end forwards. You want them in the league at 20, producing, because the aging curve, the forwards in particular. So it makes no sense to me taking a goalie at 13, because what, what is it? Oh, he'll learn under Bobrovsky. Well, for how long? Three, four years? Well, what are you doing with the other three years of that Bobrovsky contract? Try to move it. What? None of this makes sense. and I know they haven't no, signed him yet, but like, isn't that like one of the foregone conclusions of this offseason? Or maybe That's this the changes theory. their mind. Maybe, maybe I'm being a little too critical. I don't. I still don't think drafting goalies at number thirteen overall is the way to go. But maybe if it gets him off of Bobrovsky in his cap hit, that that might not be ultimately a bad thing for them. Um, so yeah, and another funny moment i thought I, did you watch it at all or no the first round dude i'm sleeping yeah Come on. that's what i thought <laughs> all right so the stars drafted some kid named thomas harley but their elder owner went up there and and drafted harley thomas oh no really he he, he got the name backwards but like part of me is like no man you're taking Harley Thomas, some fucking kid playing midget hockey in Chikudami. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting Thomas Harley. You're getting this fucking kid, Harley Thomas. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? That's hilarious. Um, so the, I, I did think that was um, pretty funny. But I don't have anything else um, on the draft because... You know, we both admit I, I'm not. I don't got enough time in the day to be watching this shit. No, and, and look for me, the hard thing is, it's like Pittsburgh shouldn't be worrying about the draft. Like, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, you should be worrying about how does the current roster get better. And drafting players right now does not make that happen. And, and I think, you know, once the Crosby Malkin era. Is done. It'll be like it was when I was back in my my mid twenties. It'll be, all right. Who are these people that we're going to have to pick to try and come up with another good roster again? Because while you've got Crosby, Malkin, Latang on the roster, you go for it. And this coach burnt his picks that he could have used for now to improve this roster cheaply, but they're gone. So you're out that window. You're at the tail end of those three guys' careers and. Fingers crossed he doesn't do anything crazy to not have them all ended as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Yeah, well, he came out recently at the draft with some interesting comments, and I don't know how much time we 
have for that. I'm trying to track down my... Didn't he basically just come out and say, why does everybody think things are going to go crazy here? It's like, well, you said you're going to make some moves and you've intimated it moving Kessel, Malkin, and Tang. The only one you're not going to move is Crosby. It's like, so why aren't you going to get some flack and some back chat on that? Jesus. Yeah, so here we go. Rutherford on trading Malkin and Latang. I'm prepared to say it's highly unlikely. My point was I'm open to accepting calls and having conversations about our players. I wasn't aggressively active on trying to move those top guys. Talk about doing a shit job of communicating that simple. It's not hard. He fucked that up and in the process probably pissed off two of his better players. Definitely pissed off Malkin because in Josh Yowie's, um article today, talked about how Mike Sullivan's going to visit with Malkin because he's he's upset. So job well done on that communication. I I know he's quite comfortable being Robin to Crosby's Batman. Right? I know he's comfortable being like that. But you don't have to treat him like a third-class citizen. And there have been a lot of times this particular group of management have done that. Cheryl never point, dreamt of it. No. And at some point, we're actually, when was the last time they traded for a winger for Melkin? Like specifically for Gino. You think about all the trades that they've gone for for their wingers, they've always been, oh, let's get one for Sid. And it never quite worked out. So what did they do? They gave him to Malkin and it worked. Sid's better with the younger guys anyway. Neil he maybe. makes them better. Jokinen. Jokinen was, was more 40, for a center that turned into... A winger, yeah. You know what I mean? Like they've never... The club, all the way through their careers... that obviously. Okay, you're right. That's the only one. And that was terrible. <laughs> so I suppose Gino's at a point in his career where he can go, no, fuck you. You can do something for me. Stop saying you're going to fucking trade me. It would look so weird seeing him in a different jersey. Stop right? playing Jack Johnson with me, for the love of God. Yeah, don't give me anybody else. Just do not give me him. And then uh, I'll be good. All right. He, Rutherford, we need to freshen things up a little bit, get a few new faces in there, and go about our business a little bit different from the... And then go about our business a little bit different from the coach's point of view, from my point of view, from the leaders of the team. Try to bring it together earlier in the year. I think what? I went through... I, I, yeah, I don't... You got, like, 13 previous cup winners on the team. Like, give me a break with all this leadership bullshit and culture. I don't... I don't think coaching this hockey team, even the way it's constructed at the moment with Johnson and stuff, Johnson and co. on the back end, I don't think it would be particularly complicated to, to have them be successful. It, you play. All this stuff doesn't get brought up unless uh, unless you lose and bow out early. How many of these guys are different people now? Like, dramatically different people. None of them. The problem is that the hockey hasn't been good enough. And the narratives form from that. All right, I don't think there was ever that intention to have a lot of turnover. We wanted to make some changes, change the culture a little bit in the room. We started to do that. We'll probably do it prior to training camp. What? You traded Ali Mata? You f fucking throwing him under the bus now? <laughs> he doesn't strike know, me as the, 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 the problem in a locker room type of dude. I so, know he can party hard, but come on. This is bullshit. 
changed the culture a little bit. How? What did you do? Traded Olimata. They're old school. They're old school buzzwords, because that's all he's got. I don't think there was ever that intention to have a lot of turnover. You're the one fucking talking about Kessel, Latang, and Malkin. You dimwit. <laughs> it's so very he, frustrating. He just blow. If he, I tweeted, and he reminds me of Trump a lot. Not yeah, not is. in being a, a terrible person i don't want that no no no. but he just says what's on his mind at the time and doesn't think about the consequences of what comes out of his mouth then has to go and try and clean up the mess that he himself created then wants a pat on the back for cleaning it up and he's not even cleaning it up well at the moment no and it's just it's like a pyromaniac of a firefighter it's so frustrating how much he runs his mouth it's great for the media. Gives them something to write about. Like, I get why they love him. So, him and Trump, both gifted great opportunities. Got got hired by a good team. <laughs> are you Hang on, are you saying the Republicans or the Americans? Like, the United States is a pretty decent country to, you know, probably run more so than some other ones. This is true. They both can't help themselves. To, but to speak out, they both lack any semblance of direction, <laughs> and they both have followers who ignore facts. And, and they're, they're both boomers. And <laughs> they're both similarly aged, and heading in the wrong direction. So, while Rutherford's mistakes are, a professional hockey team gets hurt. That's not really a big deal. We uh, bitch and no. moan about it because it's a hockey podcast. The other asshole, there's actually some serious consequences to real human beings. So I do want to make worldwide that worldwide too. This, very this is the problem, and worldwide too. Separation though me. of what I was saying. Yes, correct. I didn't want it to be quite grouped. <laughs> no, that's not a one. I, I get the difference there. here, <laughs> but there are the the similarities on different scales. Um, so there was that, but, um, and then the other thing, um, that Greg Wyszynski had, I don't want to say that it's possible Jim Rutherford drafted Poulin because his dad was with the Whalers when Rutherford was there, but I mean, I guess I am. And he's right. Absolutely. And Rutherford's only made two first round picks in his five years. The other one was... Kasperi Kapanen, very good player, obviously. But his dad played for him. So both his picks have been former Whaler slash Hurricane sons of his former players. Ridiculous. Or just a coincidence. It could be. Correlation does not mean... Causation, correct. Causation, so, but I thought, you know, Rutherford is not immune from nepotism-ish practices and that kind of stuff. And I think that goes through this professional sport like wildfire nepotism. It's why new ideas take so long to come in, because they always go for the ex-coach or the ex-GM or the ex-scout of another team or... I know this guy because my dad drafted him and all that kind of stuff. It's like there's not really a way to get new ideas in, which is why some of these stats guys coming into these teams are completely fresh. 
and you do see a really sudden change in direction for some of these clubs. It's like when you saw Florida suddenly go from being terrible to the the numbers boys to being good to then getting their asses kicked to then being terrible again. Like it's ridiculous how quickly those changes happen because their ideas are so different at the moment. Well, you know, why I'm bullish on the Devils? You get Matt Kane and Tyler Dello and Ray Shero has always been open to yes. analytics. Maybe not, you know, in Pittsburgh, uh, didn't practice them as well with the the later stages of the Tanner Glass and Craig Adams stuff. But that's not to say he can't learn and grow from why he got fired. And if he's got it's, Matt Cain and yeah. Tyler Dello around him in legitimate positions, like, you can't not talk about those things. No, Otherwise, I'm you wouldn't have any agree. intention of hiring them. Because it is, it is interesting, because there are times where you, you see some of our wonderful resources vanish off the, the free platform, and they go and get paid for their great work, and you wonder how much of an influence their information has on the decision makers. Like, have they just been hired up because they think it's a good idea, and, and they give them the info and they ignore it, or is it being taken on board? But Shiro has always felt to me like when he was at the Penguins, he was always looking for new ways to, to, to be better at what he did. And, you know, he was smart enough to admit that he got some stuff wrong at the end of his tenure at Pittsburgh, and that's why he lost his job. But it looks as though in New Jersey, he certainly learned from that, which makes him a dangerous GM in the Penguins division. <laughs> yeah, and it I think that's actually going to help them keep Taylor Hall. I know it sounds corny, but Taylor Hall, more than most of the other players in the league has come out with positive things and, and talks about how he looks at shot attempts and um, you know who who people are playing with how that impacts those kind of numbers and to have not only get PK Subban that's obviously a, a great thing for him to see but to also he he knows probably who Tyler Dello is if he's into that stuff and he well, he's from definitely he's knows who Matt Cain is. Um, <laughs> like, that's got to appeal to a player that's cerebral. Like, hey, you know, they're they're making an effort here to use everything at their disposal, where a lot of these teams, uh, the hubris gets the best of them, and they do not open up to using all resources. And, yes, all resources does include eye test scouting. It does include that. But too many times the eye test scouting is heavily leaned on with a lot of these uh, organizations, and it should should if it skews, it should skew the other way. Yeah, that the data it's should lead you to who to eye test further, not eye test and then or eye test and then find numbers that support what I want. Yeah. And that's that's the challenge, is the order of how you use it, I think, is actually really important. It's it's sifting through the, you know, boring us spreadsheets, going through that stuff, getting the data, and then going to the people that make the decisions and have them go, have go okay, these are all the areas that these players are great in. Who do you want to go and eye test out to see if they fit the culture that you want this club to perceive as? If you stick within 
these these rail bars that we've given you, you really kind of can't go wrong. Here, here's what I would do if I was scouting for prospects, because obviously you're not going to get the possession expected nope. goals stuff. All right, so we just use points. The better players are going to have points. All right, let's learn more about this guy. Let's send our scouts. This guy's got a lot of points per game. All right, when I send my scouts there, I don't want to come back with buzzwords. I want them to actually track the games. Yeah, I'll give you. Yeah. Like modern scouting should be some manual tracking involved. How are the zone exits? How are the zone en- like the Corey Schneider stuff? Yep. You don't necessarily have to track the whole league, even though that would be optimal. But now you have a better snapshot of that specific player, and because you use the simple points per game or points stat, you put some resources towards that player. And instead of being using all the generic bullshit, you can have some very specific conversations about the strengths and weaknesses and have at least a database to pull from to compare the other work. And, you know, small samples are still going to be a thing. But this should grow. That should be, like, the starting point. But if you do that every year for 10 years, you start to get an idea of which leagues are better at what. And you can work out... I think a team could spend $500,000 and totally just revolutionize drafting. Not publicly share the information at all. No. I mean, think about how many trackers you could hire, even if it was like 40000 a year, to track the whole fucking league of juniors in college and just get an army of... uh, Corey Schneiders and well I know at least with Ryan he has people that volunteered to help him with that project that wasn't just him no and, but and pay these people work. and yeah. have them in every one of these cities to track the games that are there that night now you got yourself a hell of a database you're ahead of the game because right now that is a area to be exposed and that's the hardest part in pro sports is going back to the whole don't think you you got your coaching is going to be better than the other coaches because everybody's going to put in the same amount of work to try and improve player skill sets. It's so much harder to find areas to exploit of other teams. This this is you're exactly right. This drafting, particularly in this sport, because it is really really hard, because the things that matter aren't tracked. Like they're just they're not like it's hard enough to get that sort of stuff on the TV coverage as it is at the top level. So any way you can create a database to track that stuff that will give you a better idea of of who you can expose later in the draft, I think is a, a brilliant idea. Where are the other areas that you can exploit against team to team at the moment? Uh, none is, with that kind of payoff, I don't think. No, I absolutely. Uh, the, the amount of money you would put into this compared to the payoff you would get in regards to talent acquisition, it's the ratio is so high. Yeah, you, maybe I'm wrong on the half mil figure, but I don't think it would be a, a ton. Think about it. If you're the Penguins and you say you put in two mil, say so you can you make sure you've got all the leagues covered, you've got Europe covered, um, and then you start trading down and accumulating more picks because you're more sure about other players. Yeah. I mean, you could clean yeah. up. Absolutely. You'd have a and team full to... of all ELC guys. 
<laughs> you have a look at your your, your two million. Hey, Mitch Marner, you want to make fifteen mil? <laughs> we got a bunch of ELC guys. We can afford it. There's, yeah, it, the concept. You, I like that idea. I think that's brilliant. Long way away from and, it, in my probably yeah, opinion. Yeah, but think about who are the clubs got all the money. I don't know why Toronto isn't already doing it. Well, Toronto does have a pretty good um, hiring extra skater. They have a database, their own personal database. That was why you hire someone like that. Yeah, I get that. It's why Minnesota hired um, Andrew Thomas and um, oh. Damn it. Yes, get, but your challenge there is, is Fenton actually Alexandra. listening to the boys? No, but, like, they have a... War on Ice going down sucked, but the reason was um, they wanted the... The teams the wanted resource. that database, so I'm yeah. sure the Penguins have one, too, with Sam. Um, for sure, so... Yeah. Well, I think I'm tapped out. What about you? Yeah, it's a lot of draft talk for someone who doesn't really uh, do the draft thing. But, it's one um, of those. It's the thing with the draft, though. There's so much around it besides just the picking of the players. Well, if you want to be good about knowing about this stuff but not putting in the effort, just follow the right people. They, there are there are people to um, to follow that that put a lot of time into this stuff. I think um, Corey Pronman is, is with the athletic is probably the most famous one who used to do it for ESPN insider. I know Jesse Marshall since his days with the Faceoff factor, um, he puts in a lot of time to this stuff. Uh, Todd Cordell at hockey buzz. I know he does a lot with this stuff as, uh, too. So, uh, those are just a few people. Um, but I can lean on that kind of stuff. And I don't need to consider myself a prospect expert to get the general uh, concepts of how you should draft. And um, I have more than enough knowledge at my fingertips to lean on uh, to then analyze after the picks are made and, and, and combine the logic with what I'm hearing about the players. So... Yep. Yep, it's not rocket science. Nope, it's actually quite random. <laughs> it's the opposite. So, next week, free agency. Should be interesting, uh, as it always is. I don't know how interesting it will be for the Penguins. At the present well, the moment, they might not be doing too much. Yeah, but it's. I'm curious to see how many teams try to offload to the below salary floor teams to try and get active. The floor is not as bad now, though. No, that's true. I think the they Senators are, are to... only like 13 mil off. Why couldn't you just give them... Oh. First round pick and Jack Johnson for... Nothing. Cap space. A seventh round pick in 2029. (laughs) Whatever. And we'll we'll make sure it's not lottery protected for you so you can get back the one you gave to Colorado. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, next week yeah. will be fun. It's always a good one, and then um, we'll have a lot to talk about. So, but this podcast, this one right here, it's ending now. <laughs> See you next time. See ya.